Welcome, welcome to this morning's worship service. We're grateful that you're here. We're happy that you're here. It's always a pleasure being able to raise up our voices and singing together, be able to sing together. And so I want to welcome you. If you are here for the first time or if you haven't been here for a long time, welcome. We're happy that uh, you're here. Um, if you've been here with us but you've never maybe filled out a contact form online, if you go to crosspointchristianchurch.com, scroll all the way down, you'll find a short contact form uh, just asking for your name, phone number, and email. That's a way for us to stay in touch with you. Um, receive our newsletters. They're going to be coming forth shortly, as you know, the last couple of weeks. Uh, we haven't had one, but we're working on that. Uh, just a way for you to stay in touch with what's going on at Crosspoint. Um, but welcome. For those of you joining us online, we're also grateful that you're joining us, and so we are happy to have you. I'm always pleased to have conversations with people as we see each other, and then you let me know that you've been watching online, that you've been faithful in watching, or you send a text. That's always encouraging, knowing that we're able to reach you and that you're able to participate in our live service via the internet. All right. Um, I have several announcements that I want to make mention of, so be ready. Have your pen ready. First of all, next week, Lord willing, on Sunday, we're going to have a combined service at 10 a.m. All right. You heard it from me. There it is. One combined service. That means this is our English service. At 1030, we have our Spanish service. And so we're going to combine both groups to have one service because we're uh, celebrating our eighth anniversary as Cross Point Christian Church, all right? Uh, 10 o'clock, that'll go till about 11 o'clock, sorry, till about 11.30, and then we plan on having a, a great lunch, time of fellowship, uh, break bread together. We'll be doing that probably outside. I've been watching the uh, weather forecast, and they're saying it might rain a little bit on Wednesday, but it looks great for, for next Sunday. If that holds, then we'll be having our anniversary celebration outside with about eight grillers, um, and uh, you're asked to participate in that. So the church is providing the main course. That would, I shouldn't even tell you what that's going to be because it doesn't even matter. But okay, it's going to be carne asada. We're going to have burgers, hot dogs, chicken, tacos al pastor. Uh, I lost, hopefully I didn't lose any of you now thinking about all those foods. But um, then we need salads and sides to go with that. Um, there's, there should be a sign-up sheet on the way out. If not, they're also going to be available during your growth group time. So if you're in a growth group and you want to participate, growth group leaders will let you know, and uh, you'll sign up for something to bring on that day. On that day, also, there's going to be a bake sale, um, and that is to raise funds for our youth program, um, specifically for our Bible bowlers. They're going to be participating in traveling. Uh, they do a lot of traveling, so there's a lot of traveling expenses, and so we want to help with that. So be ready to... Uh, uh, help with that. And then we also plan on having our new Cross Point Christian Church t-shirts. So be ready for that as well. I don't know if they're going to be free or if they're going to, if we're going to do, ask for like a gift in order to um, also raise some funds for, for the youth. So just be ready. Come ready. All right. And that is for the anniversary. Lots of signups. Um, if you're willing and wanting to help set up, there's going to be a lot of setup needs um, we would welcome that as well, okay? We will have young adults meeting tonight at 6 p.m. We haven't met for a while. We had a movie night a couple weeks ago, kind of combination, but next uh, tonight, 6 o'clock, young adults, anyone 18 and over to 30-something, we would uh, love to have you here. You should also know that a men's group is starting up 
on Friday nights at 7. There's already a women's group, and I believe the women are taking a break, right? And, uh, but the men will continue meeting at 7. So every guy, 16, I would say around 16 years old and over, is welcome to come and join us in our Bible study and fellowship that we meet here at church. Um, As you know, a couple of weeks ago, our sister LV, our dear LV, uh, went to be with the Lord. Uh, This Saturday, November 5th, is going to be her services and burial, as well as a lunch. So if, if you get our emails, then you received an email with all that information. But if you didn't, then November 5th, 9th. A.M. to 11 a.m. will be the viewing. At 11 a.m. there will be a memorial service. At 1 p.m. at Rose Hills. At 1 p.m. at Rose Hills it will be the uh, burial service ceremony. And then after that we'll be coming back here to church for a lunch. If you have any questions you want to see uh, Jason uh, or myself. I think that's it. Did you guys get all that? I'll tell you this last one just so you can put it in your back burner. November 20th, we plan on having a Meet the Leaders lunch. We're really excited about that because there's about 35 of you out there that have been part of our church. You've stuck around. Uh, you didn't find us too weird. And you, I believe, feel that the Lord is here and doing a wonderful work. And perhaps the Lord has brought you here to fellowship and grow with us. And so we want you to meet the leaders. The leaders want to have lunch with you. That'll be November 20th after a combined service as well. So that's the plan, to have a combined service on the days that we have a meet the leaders lunch. So we'll give you more information on that. But if, you've, if you're fairly new, you're thinking, like, I never heard of that, then it's probably for you. Uh, if you've been here longer than you heard about it, but you never attended one, it's also for you. Um, but um, we're excited to do that because what, if, if you've been here for a while, you realize that the Lord is bringing new people every week uh, in different ways. Um, and so we're, we're growing. We're having people added to our, to our congregation, and we're excited about that. So we want to have lunch with you, get to meet you, and uh, for you to get to know us as the leaders of the church here at Cross Point. All right. If you have any questions about that, if you missed anything, see me afterwards, but we'll put all this stuff in the... Uh, Lord willing, next week, uh, next week's uh, uh, bulletin or newsletter. All right. Um, I would like to, if if you got one of these, these are for us to take communion together. If you didn't and want to participate in communion, raise your hand, and we'll have Jason swing by uh, and give you one. And what I want to do in preparation for that is look at Titus chapter 3, and I want to read, I usually read one verse, but I want to read several verses, and I'm going to try to limit my comments and just have the word, or the Lord speak to us through his word. And the reason why we do this is we want to um, have an understanding of what we're doing. Uh, We believe this is a, a reminder of what Christ our Lord did for us at the cross of Calvary, Um, We make remembrance of this. This is symbolic of what occurred. I'll explain that. Uh, But we also want to be ready because we think this is a really big deal. The fact that the God of the universe chose to become flesh like one of us 2,000 years ago, be born of the Virgin Mary and and live a life 
a pure, perfect life for 33 years approximately, and then offer his life as a payment for our sin is a really big deal. And so we celebrate it every week. But listen to this, what Paul writes to Titus. He says, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I would highly encourage you to take this portion and meditate over it today, tomorrow, this week. But in essence, it says, hey, don't forget who you were. Don't forget who you were. And by God's grace, when we take part of communion, we're saying, we are no longer who we used to be. And it's thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ who took our place at the cross. Through the hearing of the gospel, we had the faith to respond to that invitation of forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And we've accepted that, and we have been made new creatures in Christ. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a guarantee, and the Holy Spirit lives in us and transforms us day by day purifies us, sanctifies us, leads us unto truth, teaches us, opens our understanding so that we could be ever more like Christ and live a different life. And that's part of our testimony. I'm not where I could and should be, but by God's grace, I'm not who I once was. Amen to that? And so this is a reminder that as you peel back the first layer and you take this bread unleavened bread that symbolizes, it represents the sinless body of our Lord Jesus Christ that hung on that cross on our behalf. Let's take that together. As you peel back the second layer, you see the juice that represents the precious blood of our Lord Jesus that was shed as a very payment for our sins. Let's take that together. Thank you, Lord. If you can and will, let's stand. We're going uh, we're gonna to sing for the second time, I believe, this hymn. Old classic hymn, Blessed Assurance. All right, we sang it last week, so you guys are now ready to belt it out. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. 
This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Father, we are we rejoice in being able to praise your name and bless your name now and forever, recognizing your goodness and your grace towards us. How can we repay? We can't, but we want to live for you in gratitude and obedience. I thank you for all my brothers and sisters that are here this morning. Everyone who's here, Father, we just realize that nobody's here by accident. You have us right where you want us to be, and I believe it is to hear your message. So, Holy Spirit, we know you're here, we know your power, and we ask that you would teach us, that you would lead us, and that you would transform us evermore to be like your Son, Jesus, our Lord, for the honor and glory of our Father. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. You may have a seed, beloved. And um, so this morning, we get to continue our messages based out of Luke the gospel according to Luke, this is the second message out of chapter 10, and I believe we're going to have one more message in chapter 10 next week, Lord willing, during our anniversary, and then we're going to go on to chapter 11. Um, so I would encourage you to read along, read ahead. Um, you know, ideally, all of you would have already read chapter 10 several times in the last several weeks, uh, and so the story of the Good Samaritan um, would be something that is familiar to you, and we would discuss that here, and I would bring the three points that I'm going to share with you, and hopefully that will continue to bless you and edify you, but you have to make sure that you take ownership of your learning, of your own discipleship. You know, as a church, we have a discipleship process, so we say everybody that comes and sticks around, we have a process that we want to put you through so that you can grow and give yourself a good opportunity to be a good disciple of the Lord. And our discipleship process has three points. The first one is, you're already in it, experience God through worship. Our worship service on Sunday mornings, be faithful, be consistent to it, be engaged when you're here. And then we ask you to commit to spiritual growth through growth groups, and those happen throughout the week, some on Sunday, some throughout the week, most of them in person, one of them online. And by God's grace, I was looking at our numbers, and we have over 100 people uh, signed up to growth groups. So if you're not one of those 100, you're missing out. Truly, you're missing out. All right, so we would encourage you. Growth groups will end uh, next month in November. We have uh, December off, and then we'll pick up 2023, trimester one in January. So we're on three months. We're off one month. 
but uh, we're excited about that. We have some new classes coming in uh, in January, and so we're really, truly excited about that. So that's our second step, commit. So experience, commit to growth in sp- in spiritually in growth groups, and then serve. Serve. Serve the world around you with God's love. Show people God's love, what he's done for you. Prove to others the genuineness of your faith. Be ready for every good work like we read in uh, Titus. And what we're going to see today with the story of the Good Samaritan. So I'm excited. All right, that's our three-point discipleship process. Experience, commit, and serve. So this morning, we're going to look, I believe, at a very well-known story um, as Luke, the author of the gospel according to Luke, narrates here in Luke chapter 10, we're going to read verses 25 through 37. The title of this morning's message is Loving Our Neighbor. And all of you should have picked up a, a, a handout that is it's a, it's a sheet of paper that has uh, basically the outline of the message and for you to kind of fill out, stay engaged, and then it has some reflecting questions, reflective questions for you to take home and discuss or meditate on, talk them over with somebody will be, I think, very helpful. Uh, All of that is in an effort on my part and our part as a leadership to help you be engaged and and, um, involved in in your learning, especially this morning with our message. So loving our neighbor is the... Uh, title of this morning's message. Let me tell you the main point before I, I do the reading. The main point this morning is simple. We glorify God by being obedient by, in loving our neighbor. We glorify God by being obedient when it comes to loving our neighbor. And let me, let me just go ahead and read the, uh, the section. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. Keep in mind, I think as, you know, I'm, I'm even doing it myself right now. I'm saying, you know, this portion is about the, the Good Samaritan. It is, but I want you to realize that the story of the Good Samaritan is within the context of a conversation that the Lord is having with an individual. All right, that's kind of the point. There's a conversation going on, and within that conversation, the Lord shares this story of the Good Samaritan. Keep that in mind. I think that's going to be important. So Luke 10, starting in verse 25, all the way to verse 37, reads, it says, And behold, a certain lawyer, that will be an expert of the law, of the Old Testament law, stood up and tested him, tested the Lord Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this, and you'll live. But this man, this lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that same place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. What an interesting story. And there's so many angles that we could take on this story, but let me mention a couple of things that happened here. First of all, the Lord, as he was accustomed to doing, he's teaching, he would have people gathered around him all the time. And here, from that one of those gatherings, no doubt, a certain lawyer stands up and listen to what Luke says, wanting to test Jesus. Wanting to see if Jesus knew as much as he thought he knew. Self-righteous. This man thought that he knew the answer about how do I inherit eternal life, which is a great question. If you've never asked yourself, how do I get to heaven? You need to ask yourself that. You need to know the answer to that. If you never ask yourself, am I included? Is my name written in heaven? If you never ask that question or you don't know the answer to that, you need to ask that question and inquire. But here's this man with a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Sounds like a great question, except his motives were all messed up. And Luke tells us we don't even have to imagine that's the case. It says that he wanting to test Jesus, not that he was seeking an answer from somebody who he was recognizing was greater than him. He didn't recognize Jesus as, a, as God in the flesh, the Son of God. He just thought he was probably a good teacher, but him, being a lawyer, an expert of the law, thought that he, pro- he probably thought that he knew more than the Lord. He was testing him, like, I know the answer. Let me ask you this question to see if you know the answer, Jesus. What an insult. But the Lord is awesome, humble, and he entertains his question. But he doesn't just entertain his question. He entertains and addresses his motives. And that's where the story comes in. There's a lot for us to to think about there, even before we get into our our message here. Beloved, it's such a danger for us to be here. You might be thinking, like, what are you talking about? It's such a danger for us, like myself, to grow up in a good Bible-teaching church. Because almost inevitably, There's going to come a time when you think that you know it all or that you think a lot or that you think you know enough. Proven by our lifestyle, beloved. Proven by our... Maybe you'll never say that. Maybe you'll never admit it to yourself. By looking at our lives, you'll see that if you're honest with yourselves, you'll come to the conclusion that at least at one point in our lives, and maybe many of us right now are at a point in our lives where we feel, I think I know enough. Proven by, I don't really read my Bible that much. You know, I don't spend that much time in prayer. I don't really like hanging around with people at church. I don't really want to get involved. I'm really busy right now in my life. 
All of those things will prove to you that you have come to the conclusion that you either know everything, you know a lot, or at the very least that you know enough. And that was the case with this young, or with this lawyer. By definition, he was an expert of the law, and therefore with that comes the danger of a big head that thinks that they no longer have to submit to, to God and his word and his authority. And so I would ask ourselves to really be careful with that, especially if you've been here for a long time, especially if you've known the gospel for a long time. Our lives have to reflect that. That is the way you're going to know that you're truly saved and not you're just an expert of the law or an expert of the Bible or an expert at speaking Christianese and acting like a Christian. You know, yeah, I know how that works. The little plastic goes first and the second one goes, of course I know that. And I know how to do this. And I know that, you know, 200-year-old hymn. I know all that stuff. I remember hearing a, uh, a couple, he, they were confessing on the radio, and he was saying that when they were young, they were like so proud and arrogant. They would go to church, and I remember because of this, they would go to church and they would get the handout. And before the preacher started preaching, they would just be able to fill it all out. You know how awesome they are? Right? Do any of you do that? Get the paper and you're like, I don't even need to hear Mike. I already know the answers. Look how awesome I am. You got to be careful with that, beloved. You know, how do you know that you're really growing spiritually? You become more humble, more like Christ. If you're becoming more arrogant, more conceited, you're looking down on people because they don't know as much as you. You're going around asking people, you know, your tough questions because, you know, you heard a good preacher, you read a good article, and, and then you think you know something, you go around asking people. Beware of that. And that is a danger that all of us have. We see that in this lawyer. Expert in the law. And I want to say this. Having the right answers does not make you right with God. Being able to answer the questions correctly does not mean you're right with God. And I would bet you, but I don't bet, I don't bet. But if I did, I would bet you that this man could answer just about every question that anybody there had about the law. And yet, his heart was far from God. Dangerous. Self-justification. He says he, he trying to justify himself. He asked the question, and who is my neighbor? Mm-hmm. He, thought, he thought he was right with God. Because the commandments are love God with everything and love your neighbor. And he didn't ask, how do I love God? Why? Because I think he thought that him and God were on par. We're good. But he did have this question about like, well, who's my neighbor? Because I'm really good with my buddies and my other Pharisee friends and my scribe friends. But who, who's my neighbor trying to justify himself? And then the Lord comes out with this uh, story. So what I want to do as we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, as we understand that this story is within the context of this conversation between Jesus, our Lord, and this lawyer We're going to look at loving our neighbor means we. And then I have three points that I want to share with you. Okay, so the question is, are we loving our neighbor? Because that's a commandment that God has for us, to love him and to love our neighbors. As we're looking at the story of the Good Samaritan, I want our message to be based on loving our neighbor means we. So let's get right to it. Point number one, loving our neighbor means we identify who our neighbor is. If you don't know who your neighbor is, it's going to be very difficult for you to love your neighbor, right? We're going to be like this lawyer who, who, 
I don't know who my neighbor is, therefore I'll just uh, do my best with the people that I like, maybe the people that give something back to me and I'm cool with them, but uh, I don't really know who my neighbor is. So I think loving our neighbor means that first we identify who our neighbor is. Who our neighbor is. So verse uh, 29 in chapter 10, it says, But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Is it the person that lives right next to me? Is it the person that uh, sits next to me at school? Is it the person that is closest to me in my team? Who is my neighbor? And the Lord answers that question. So the question for us would be, who is your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? If you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, the question is, do you know who your neighbor is? And I think we're going to conclude with something very interesting here. So let's take a look at Matthew 5.44. Who is our neighbor? Matthew 5.44, in order for us to identify who our neighbor is, if we're going to love our neighbor, we need to identify who he is. In Matthew 5.44, the Lord says, But I say to you, love your buddies. Is that what it says? I don't know if it's up there, but. Love your enemies, the Lord says. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Who is your neighbor? Everybody's your neighbor. And if ever you try to justify yourself thinking like, I'm good with my neighbors. Really? How are you with those that spitefully use you and take advantage of you? And curse you. Are you loving them? Are you treating them as your neighbor? And I think all of us would probably say like, no, probably not. If we're honest. And, and what the Lord was doing with this story, he's addressing not his silly question of who is my neighbor, but he's addressing his self-righteous heart. Because the Lord knew that once he said this story, about the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan, that the man will be convicted and say, like, I actually now realize that I don't love my neighbor. I've only been loving the people that I like. So the Lord establishes and gives us a good idea of who our neighbor is, and he says, love your enemies, those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you, and persecute you. Do you meet that? Do we meet those perfect standards from God? And the answer would be a resounding, no, we don't. We fall short. And by the way, beloved, this expert of the law should have known that the purpose of the law was not to self-justify us. It wasn't meant for self-justification, but the purpose of the law was to point us to a Savior because we realize that none of us can keep the law perfectly, not even close, and that by the works of the law, no flesh would be justified. If you understand the Word of God, you realize that you're a sinful individual that is in need of Christ, and if by His grace you have come to an understanding of the gospel and acceptance, then you have been made a new creature in Christ who still has the old nature as well, and you will forever, as long as you're alive here, have this battle between the flesh 
and the Spirit. That's why we are commanded to walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But that's going to be a battle. But never do we want to assume that we're already arrived, that we don't have this battle, that we don't need a Savior. Romans 5.8, God is our perfect example. Who is our neighbor? Everyone is our neighbor, especially those who need our help. But Romans 5.8 gives us a good idea of not only does God expect us to love our enemies, but he shows us how to do it by doing it himself. Romans 5.8 reads, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, becomes flesh in order that he would die for us. But who's us? Sinners. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for good people. He didn't die for righteous individuals. Jesus, God in the flesh, came and hung on that cross naked and took out all the pain and God's wrath for you, a sinner, for me, a sinner, an enemy of God. Not only does he tell us to love our neighbor or to love even our enemies, but he did that perfectly at the cross for us. So loving our neighbor means we identify who our neighbor is, and our neighbor is everyone, especially those that are in need of us, of something that we can help with. Point number two, loving our neighbor means that we investigate potential needs. We investigate. Not only do we identify who they might be, but we investigate potential needs. Luke 10.33 says, but a certain Samaritan... And you have to understand a little bit that when Jesus was telling this story to this lawyer and everybody that was there were Jews, and the minute he said, you know, this priest came by and he should have helped this individual, his fellow Jew, he crosses the street and just walks on, ignores the need. And this Levite who also had this certain obligation to help goes across the street and just walks by, pretends he doesn't see the man that had been robbed and beaten, left for half dead. And then the Lord says, so everybody would have been like, yeah, that priest is messed up. Oh, that Levite, he's messed up. And then the Lord says, but then here comes this Samaritan. And everybody would have cringed. Yeah, Samaritan. What did he do? He kicked him while he was down? Is that what you're going to say, Jesus? And he says, but this Samaritan comes around. As he journeyed, he came where this man was. And when he saw him, he had compassion and everybody that would have heard that story as the Lord was saying it would have been cringing and would have been upset that Jesus was using a, a, a Samaritan as an example of someone who was doing a good job of loving their neighbor. But that's exactly what he used to illustrate the fact that even though the Samaritans were looked down upon and hated by the Jews, that a Samaritan would have done that for a Jew that was in need. In answering the question for this lawyer, who is my neighbor? Who is our neighbor? Everyone who is in need. And, and this is so challenging for me to have to think about who is my neighbor? And who have I been loving? And who have I been ignoring? Who do I not even pay attention to? Who do I rather not even get involved with? Isn't that convicting? 
and to know that those are the very people that God has put in your life so that you can demonstrate God's love towards your neighbor. And the Bible says, you know, if you, if you love those who love you, what is that? Everybody does that. If you lend money to people that have money that lend you money, what point is that? If you invite people to your parties that will also invite you to their parties and give you night, what, what is the point of that? How do you prove God's love? The kind of love that yet, though we were sinners, Christ died for us. How are we, we being like Christ? So we investigate potential needs. That is how loving our neighbor, that is what it means to love our neighbor. We investigate potential needs. The priest and the Levite, they didn't even care. They saw enough from far away. That guy doesn't look well. He, I, I'm, I'm just going to pre- look the other way and walk the other way, literally. But not the Samaritan. Philippians 2.4 Paul, talking to or writing to the church in Philippi, says, Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. And it's talking about within the church, that we're not supposed to be selfish and just thinking about ourselves and how does this job benefit me and how does this decision benefit my family and how does this benefit me and me and me. He says, you are supposed to not, and, and you are supposed to look out for you. But he says, don't just look out for yourself. Look out for the interests of others. And you might say, well, who others? And then you'd be just like the lawyer. Who is my neighbor? Everybody that God has put in your life to help, potentially. And you might say, like, well, we can't help everyone with everything. And I would agree. I would agree. But are you doing something for someone? Anything? I mean, I think that's where we want to be. We want to at least, we want to be doing something for someone and then let the Lord minister to our hearts and soften our hearts. And before you know it, you're going to be doing something for two people and then four people and eight people. And then you're going to be Mother Teresa someday, perhaps. But you got to start somewhere. And we can't be like this lawyer that says, like, well, I don't know who my neighbor is, and so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to keep looking out for my own interest, even though Paul is saying, don't look out only for your interest, but for the interest of others. And we ignore that. And, beloved, you got to understand that our heart, our human, fallen, sinful heart is the same. Yours and mine are the same. I know we like to think that, hey, I've been at church for, let me see, I've been at church for 47 years. I'm sure that counts for something. Maybe. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But guess what? My heart is the same as your heart. And only by God's grace are we redeemed. And by God's grace, we're no longer the same people. But our heart, our human fallen heart is still in there. And if you're not careful, you'll end up right back where you were. So you want to be careful with that. And by that I mean maybe doing some of the bad habits that you were accustomed to or being just as selfish as you were before you knew Christ. You got to be careful with that. There is a spiritual battle raging within you. Galatians 6 2, Paul again speaking says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Everybody has burdens. Some of us have physical burdens, health type burdens, financial burdens, emotional burdens. Some of us have all the burdens. And so let's get that out of the way. Let's not act like, like, oh, I don't. 
I don't have any burdens. Let me, let me carry yours, but don't try to carry any of mine because I don't have any. Stop the pretending. We all have burdens to carry. And it says, carry one another's burdens. But, you know, we buy into our culture that says, you know, stay in your lane and I'll stay in my lane. Okay? You stay in your lane. I stay in my lane. Don't worry. I'll worry about myself. You worry about you. And that is completely contrary to the way God wants us to live. Carry one another's burdens. And then the enemy, because it is the enemy, and maybe your flesh or the world will whisper to you, well, you know, that person is carrying that burden, but they deserve it. Because look at the decisions they made. If they wouldn't have quit this, if they wouldn't have done that, if they wouldn't have done this, then they wouldn't be in this position. So guess what? Let them carry their own burden. Good job. Way to listen to the enemy. Way to, way to ignore what God tells us to do. Loving our neighbor means we identify who our neighbor is. We investigate potential needs. Now, some of you, are, I know, you don't like to be nosy, right? Yeah, right, yeah, right. You don't like to be nosy when it's convenient for you. You'd rather see a potential problem. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't really see that. But then you go around gossiping about everything else. Let's not, let's not be uh, selective nosy people. Let's be nosy for the right reasons. In this case, a Samaritan comes around, he sees a potential issue, and he goes and he investigates. And when he sees what's going on, he has compassion on him. I think a lot of us don't even do that. We're not willing to go the route where we're going to encounter potential issues, and thus we're never going to experience helping other people. You have to be nosy. And I understand that for, for myself, it's, it's kind of hard. I, if you have something to tell me, I'll listen to you for hours, but it's kind of difficult for me to, to probe and to inquire and to really ask. Because, you know, we've been kind of conditioned to stay in our lane. And we don't know if people are comfortable sharing their stuff. But, beloved, unless you are willing to remove the stone, like Martha didn't want to remove the stone for his brother's gravesite and expose the ugliness, then no healing is going to happen. And so we have to be willing to, in our case, acknowledge that there's a stone and go over there and see if we can roll it up a little bit, at least peek in and ask, hey, what's going on in there? Can I help? And I know it's scary, but you have to do it if you want to live according to God's will and learn to love your neighbor. Uh, pretty soon, we hope to roll out a blessings board here at church. And what that is, is kind of like a community wall, where if you have something that you can bless other people with, let us know. We'll put it up there. You have a new Ferrari that you're not driving anymore and you want to get rid of it? You know, we'll put it out there. And then if somebody needs a Ferrari because they don't have a car and they have plenty of money for gas, they're going to say, hey, I, I could use that. And then somebody's going to be in charge of connecting us. And if you have a need, you know what? I'm looking for an apartment. I don't have a place to stay. I need, I need to find it. Let's put it out there so other people can see it and say, hey, I, could, I have a room that I can rent to this person. And, and there's a thousand needs that we can potentially meet with one another's we could meet one another's needs if we just kind of dare to take a step of faith and say, I do have a need. Is there anybody that can help me with this? And for those of us that might be in a different position to be able to say, I have this. Can anybody use that? So be on the lookout for that. 
Lastly, loving our neighbor means not only we identify who our neighbor is, we investigate potential needs, but we involve ourselves in the lives of others. Oh, boy. I was hoping to leave most of my time for this one, but here we go. We involve ourselves in the lives of others. What did the Samaritan do? He not only did he acknowledge that there was a potential issue there, but he went to investigate, and when he saw that there was a need, he had compassion. And what does he do? It says he pours wine. He anoints him with oil in his wounds. He picks him up and puts him in his animal, whether a horse or a donkey, and then he takes him to the nearest inn. He stays with them, and then the next day, he has to go, and so he leaves two denarii. Two, uh, two denarii will be the equivalent of two days' wages, a couple hundred dollars, maybe $500 in, in our time. And he says, here, look, I'm going to leave you $500, take care of whatever he needs, and when I come back, if you spend more than that, I'll pay you. What? Above and beyond. I love it. Listen to a couple of verses that have to do with involving ourselves in the lives of others. Romans 15:1. Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. We who are strong or we who are in a position to be helpful help other people that are weak at that time. And maybe tomorrow it's going to be you helping me. That's how it works. James 2, 15 through 17, it says, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, be filled, God bless you. Yet you do not give them what, it is, what is necessary for their body. What use is that? In the same way, faith also, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Here James is saying to Christians, if you pretend to have faith and you see somebody in need and all you do is say, God bless you, take care, be warm, and you don't do anything when it's in your power to do it, he's saying your faith is dead. In fact, you don't actually have faith. You're a fraud. You are deceiving yourself. Titus, again, three, be ready for every good work. God is going to put all kinds of work in front of you for you to do, but it involves you identifying your neighbor, who your neighbor is, investigating the potential needs, and then you have to involve yourself in the lives of others. You have to be involved in the lives of others. And if you say, like, Mike, I can barely keep up with my own life, I hear you. I hear you. But why is that? Chances are it's because we have bought into this world system once again, and we've made it all about ourselves. And there's plenty to do for ourselves all the time. And so we have to be careful with that. I'll end with this. Involving ourselves in the lives of others. Very interesting. And this is where I think I want to leave you with this challenge and this application. Are you ready to be helpful? Do you have the resources to help someone? Because look at the Samaritan. Not only does he go inquire, he... Um, investigates, and he has compassion. But what if, what if he didn't have any wine on him? And what if he had run out of oil last month? And what if he was walking instead of riding a donkey or a horse? And what if he got to the end, but he had any money? He's like, hey, you want to take this guy that got beat up in the road? Can you, can you help him? You know, being generous at the expense of others. Some of you guys are good at that. You're all generous, but it's costing somebody else. You're not actually being generous. You're just being something else what I'm saying is 
we need to prepare ourselves to be used by God. Did he just happen to have wine and oil? You know, the wine was to kill any of the bacteria, and the oil was like a, like a medicinal thing. And then he put some on his horse. What if he had to drag them? He would have just left them there. What I'm saying is sometimes we don't get involved in people's lives because we feel like we don't have the resources to do it. But the question becomes, what are you doing to get the resources necessary to help others? Oh, Mike, I don't have any money. Uh, most of us probably think about money right away, right? Like, I don't have any money. Like, why don't you have any money? Well, don't you work? I do. I have two jobs. And so does my wife. She has three jobs. I mean, but you don't have any money. No. It's the high cost of living. I would say it's the cost of living high. And we all, you know, depending where you are, you might say, like, oh, yeah, easy for you to say. No, it's not easy for any of us to say. But ask yourself if it's a reality. I know you watch the news, it's like inflation, everything's, and everything is so expensive. Man, go to McDonald's, you spend $15. What happened to $3.99? Right? And you put gas, is that fun when you go to the gas pump? $6 for a gallon? What? And so those are realities, but what I'm saying is, let's prepare ourselves. And I'm not just talking about physically, let's talk about it financially, let's talk about it uh, spiritually. How are you preparing yourself to be helpful to other people? How are you sharing the gospel with your friends, your relatives, your neighbors? And most of us don't. Why? Be honest. Because we feel insecure about the fact that we don't know enough. And then the question is, why don't you know enough? By the way, you do know enough. And it's an excuse. But let's say it was a legitimate excuse or reason. Why don't you know more? Are you... Consistent in coming to church on Sunday mornings? And do you take one of these handouts and do you meditate on them? Do you go home and reread it and fill it out and pray about it and discuss it with people? No, no, I don't do that. Oh, okay. Do you, have you signed up for a growth group where you can get together with other believers and, and share over the gospel and, or, the, or the word and ask questions and hear from other people? No, no, I, I don't do that either. Oh, are you serving so you can spend time with other people and see their character and their servant's heart and you can emulate that and inspire to be like that? Are you serving other people? Do you see God using you? No, no, I'm too busy for that too. Then let's stop making excuses, right? We're trying to help us become what God wants us to be and that will be be good disciples and a good disciple, I believe, is disciplined enough to prepare themselves to be able to be helpful you know, I learned this from, from somebody, uh, somebody who says, you know, we try to save as much money as possible so that we can give more. What? Nobody ever taught me that. But how obvious. We try to save as much money as possible so that we can give more. Who does that? Well, some people do. But let's all do it. I mean, imagine you stop drinking those $5 drinks. And then you can help somebody with a $5 donation whenever they have, or whatever it is. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you don't have anything to help others with. And you don't have to have all the resources. Because God is not interested in what you don't have. I learned that as a young man from my pastor. God is not interested in what you don't have. Stop making excuses. Well, if, if, you know, if I win the lotto, I'll give 10% to the church. Keep your 10%. We don't want lotto money. Stop playing the lotto and use that money for something else. Let's not be ridiculous. God is not interested in what you don't have, but what you do have, 
he's interested in using it for his glory. And we all have something to give. Who is our neighbor, beloved? Well, let's inquire who our neighbor is. That is anybody who God has put in our path that we can bless. And who? We need to investigate potential needs, not just pretend that everybody's all right. And then we need to involve ourselves in the lives of others. Let's be intentional about about collecting resources or putting ourselves in a position spiritually, financially, time-wise. People need words of encouragement. We all have something that we can bless others with. And in so doing, we can fulfill, at least in part, this commandment to love not just God, but also our neighbor. May God bless his word. I hope this is encouraging and challenging to you. And beloved, before we dismiss, we have a special presentation. We have a special presentation this this morning. Um, Where'd the baby go? Is that the baby we're presenting right here? Come on down. Come on down. Let's do that. Um, Family, if you guys want to come up here, I'll go down. I'll go down there. Oh, you guys can come up here. Come up here. Uh, Come up here. Let's have you guys introduce yourselves. Introduce this beautiful baby here. You want to do it from right there? All right. Tell me her name. Amaris. Amaris. Last name. Stevens. Amaris Stevens. And who do you have? Mom. Mom. And who do we have over here? Dad. Dad. Nina. Nino. I met the two of you. Nice. Hey, let's bring everybody up here and let's, uh, let's get to know you guys a little bit. Amaris. How do you spell that? Amaris. Nice. Amaris. Beautiful name. Well, and you guys live around here. Yes. And you contacted me a week and a half ago or so saying, hey, I would like to present my baby. And uh, just and look at her looking at me. Amaris, beautiful baby. Thank you guys for joining us. It's our pleasure to have you. Um, and... Um, Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. And just know that on behalf of Crosspoint Christian Church, it's our pleasure to have you and our honor to be able to be of service to you. you. Okay? So let me pray for Amaris. Gracious Father, we are grateful for your many blessings, and we thank you for Amaris, the life that you've given her. Thank you for the parents and the loving individuals that are surround her life. We pray that you watch over her. We pray your blessing and protection on her. We ask, Father, that as she grows up, She will come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. We pray for the parents that they will seek you, that they will seek your will for Amherst's life, and that in all things you will be glorified. So we thank you. We bless your holy name. We thank you for Amherst and put it in your hands. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. God bless you. She didn't like that. She didn't like that. All right, Amherst. All set? We're dismissed. God bless you.